Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Well, I say this every Sunday evening, but it is just an absolute joy uh, to worship with you and to be led by our team. I'm, I'm just really grateful for what God is doing here. We're in a series that we're calling This Is Us, and we're actually on week five of this sermon series. Week one, we said that we are a mission, and our mission is to live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. Week number two, we said that we're a hospital, and our longing is to be a place where people who are hurting and hopeless find hope and healing. Week number three, we said that we're a temple and we worship in spirit and in truth. Last week, we said that we are a family, that God isn't just saving us for heaven. He's actually bringing us together to do life with one another. And this week, we're talking about the reality that we are a classroom. And throughout this whole series, we're trying to really nail down and try to give language to why we exist as a church, why God's called us together and placed us in this little corner of this globe that he loves so much. So tonight, we're talking about we are a classroom. As my kids are getting older and older, I knew that eventually we were going to have to have the talk with them. Now, if you're a parent, you've probably had this talk if your kids uh, are older. And my guess is, just like me, you were nervous about having this talk because you didn't know exactly what you were going to say when the questions were asked. I I knew it was getting closer, though. My oldest son was getting older and older, and I just assumed that eventually he would prompt us and we'd have to respond. And I just didn't expect that it would be this day when we were on our way to school. I was taking them. Uh, My oldest son, Ethan, was to my right in the passenger seat. And then uh, my younger two were in the back seat right in back of us. And sure enough, right then, my oldest son, Ethan, sits back in his seat, sort of crosses his arms. And he says to me, dad, When am I ever going to use math in real life? Oh, that wasn't the talk you thought we were going to (laughs) have. Yeah, okay, fine. I set you up a little bit. But yeah, when when am I ever going to use math in real life? And my guess is that the parents in here who have older kids, you've had to have that conversation. And I stumbled through, well, Ethan, this is why you're going to have to learn math. And this is how I use math on a daily basis. And I got through this whole diatribe of reasons and ways that he would use math. And then he looks at me and he says, can't I just use a calculator for that? And I'm like, okay, it's time to get out. It's time to go to school. Go, go. And just put your head down and do it. We've all had to at one point or another. When am I going to use this in real life? I think it's actually a really good question. I, I think it's a question that we should ask when we come to church. I think it's a question we should ask when we take a class. I think it's a question we should ask when we listen to a podcast. I don't think that it's a bad question to ask at all. I, I, in fact, I think that failing to ask that question when we're in this space would actually rob us from what Jesus actually wants to do in our heart. See, because somewhere along the way, Jesus has been relegated to the category of quote-unquote spirituality. And he's been taken out of the category of wisdom and knowledge and brilliance. I mean, when was the last time you stepped back to remember that Jesus was brilliant? The, The most wise person to ever walk the face of this 
planet. You see, spiritual knowledge or Jesus's teachings, as it were, were never designed to be an end in and of themselves. They were always designed to lead us to live in a different kind of way. So if we are a classroom and Jesus is a master teacher, if Jesus is a a rabbi, what class are we in? What classes, if Jesus is teaching a class at a university, what class is he teaching? Life. I'd agree. I'd agree. In fact, philosopher and pastor Dallas Willard said it like this. He said, I am learning from Jesus how to lead my life, my whole life, my real life. If we were to say Jesus is a professor teaching a class, he might be teaching us how to live in his way with his heart. And so when we say yes to becoming a disciple of Jesus, we are saying back to him, Jesus, I want you to teach me how you would live my life if you were me. Given the situations and circumstances and events of my life, what would you do if you were me? See, the ancient Jews, they sat under a rabbi not just to hear them teach. They certainly did that, but they wanted to model their life after their rabbi. They wanted to do the things that their rabbi did. And Jesus expected his first disciples, and he expects his disciples now, not just to hear his teaching, but to put it into practice. If you have your Bible, will you open with me Matthew chapter 7? We're going to start in verse 24, and let me give you just a little bit of context while you're opening there. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 falls at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is arguably Jesus' most prolific and extensive teaching. It's probably content content that he taught on a number of different occasions, in different ways, and in different places. But it's a countercultural, subversive, life-giving message He's giving to his disciples about how in very real practical ways to live their life in a way that reflects his kingdom. And listen to what he says at the very end of this teaching, starting in verse 24. Are you there? Three of you are? That's good enough for me. Let's go. Verse 24. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Would you say, and does them with me? And does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, a few observations about Jesus' parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Number one, there's a few constants. Constant number one, storms come. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, life is full of storms. And storms don't come to just good people. They don't come to just bad people. They come to all people eventually. That's a constant in life. Here's the second constant Jesus points out. Every single one of us is building a life. Every single one of us is putting a brick on top of another brick on top of another brick. And we are building a life. Decision by decision, conviction by conviction, we are building 
a life. And the main variable that Jesus addresses in this text is the foundation upon which we build. He says, and some built on the rock and their house stood, and some built on the sand and their house fell. All that to say, the foundation of your house is not inconsequential. Are we on the same page? The foundation we're building on may be the most important thing about our Life And Jesus would say, where and how you construct the house, your life, determines the vitality of your days. Now, luckily for us, Jesus sort of decoded this parable at the very beginning of it. Listen to what he said. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So let's do a little bit of... um, what we might call rabbinic math, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that hearing his teaching plus doing it, putting it into practice, equals building on the rock. Now, just to point out what Jesus does not say is just as important as what he does say. Because what Jesus doesn't say is hearing plus agreeing (laughs) means building on the rock. Hearing plus taking notes about this building on the rock. Which, by the way, I'm not down on taking notes. Keep taking them if you're taking them, okay? Hearing plus discussing is building on the rock. No, 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 no. What Jesus says is hearing plus actually doing it, putting it into practice, is what causes us to build a life that we long for. And Jesus' point, is that only hearing does nothing for you. It's why at the very end of his great commission, his parting impartation to his disciples, he said to his disciples, teach them, teach teach everyone to obey. (laughs) He didn't say teach them to agree with, uh, teach them to believe. No, no, no. He says teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Because Jesus knows that it's in the doing that we actually do the building. And see, my guess is that you know this too. Many of us know that just having the right information isn't nearly enough to live the kind of life we all long for. There was a study done of people that had heart attacks and there was a number of different reasons that they'd had these heart attacks and, and their doctor went to him and said, you're gonna need to change at least three things in your life if you want to keep living. You're gonna have to stop smoking, you're gonna have to exercise regularly and you're gonna have to change your diet. This is after a heart attack that nearly took their life. And what they found in this study was that 90% of people said thanks but I'm going to keep living the way that I've been living. I'm not changing what you're asking me to change. See, they knew what the right thing to do was. They just didn't do it. And not doing it did them absolutely no good. We could say the same thing about our finances, about our relationships. We know that knowing isn't enough. So when Jesus says it's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. What are these words of his that he's referring to? I'm so glad that you asked. Flip back just a few chapters with me. Matthew chapter 5 is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. And this is all leading up to what Jesus says in verse 24. 
So if you start to just do a 30,000 foot cursory skim of the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see Jesus say things like, let go of your anger, your lust, your dishonesty, become a person of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's going to say things like, show radical enemy love to people that have wronged you and people that drive you crazy. He's going to call us to an unwavering trust in the goodness of our Father that would allow us to be people of a non-anxious presence in this crazy world. He's going to call us to not judge those around us. And I don't know if, if you're anything like me, but I read through the Sermon on the Mount and I go, gosh, that all sounds really, really good. It's just hard to put into practice. Is anyone with me? Yeah, I mean, turning the other cheek is a really good idea until you get slapped, right? Blessing your enemy seems nice until someone steals your promotion. Ridding yourself of lust is intriguing until you burn with passion. Being a person of your word is fine until it costs you something. But I think what Jesus wants to do as he wants us to step back far enough from our lives to recognize that with every decision, we are putting a nail into the house that we call our life. And while obedience is costly, non-obedience is even more costly. While obedience is costly, non-obedience is even more costly. And every time you get angry, you can either act on it or you can release it. But that decision is putting another brick in the house of your life. Every time you're wronged, you can extend love to your enemies or you can go after revenge, but that's putting another brick on top of your life. With every decision, Jesus would say, with every decision, we either become wise or we become a fool. His words, not mine. And with every decision, we are shaping the people that we become because a choice eventually becomes a habit that eventually becomes a character. And so in very real ways, today's decisions will shape our tomorrow's reality. It will. And Jesus' binary, like you're either wise or you're a fool. You're either building on rock or you're building on sand. You're either practicing and putting into obedience my teaching or you're not. His binary sort of shocking exclamation point at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is designed to shake us and to rattle us out of our apathy to say and to ask questions, am I just hearing your teaching, Jesus, or am I actually putting it into practice? Because a life of obedience to Jesus is a path to abundance in this life. And so I just, I, I, I love you enough, I care about you enough to say, if there is a step of obedience you are rejecting, there is a blessing you're forfeiting. If there's a step of obedience you're rejecting, there's a blessing you're forfeiting. And I just think, gosh, I think Jesus would actually agree with Nike's slogan, just do it, right? Like put it into practice. Like, don't just hear it. Don't just believe it. Don't just agree with it. Don't just take notes on it. Like do it. Put it into practice in your real everyday life. Now, some of you are tracking with me and you're going, okay, Ryan, well, 
I was with you most when you said it's easier said than done. So how do we do it? What does it look like to actually put the teachings of Jesus into practice? And what do we need to do in order to do that? Great question. Great question. Um, I think the first thing, the first thing that Jesus wants to teach us is how to think. It's how to think. Because what we accept as truth will actually drive and determine the kind of people that we become. Listen to the way that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. He said this. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Uh, Time out. Time out. Are we all on the same page that this world has a pattern? There's a way that this world does things. And what Paul is subtly saying is that if you aren't actively resisting that way, you're probably getting caught up in it. So if you're not actively going against the pattern of this world, my guess is that you're just comfortable in the stream of what's being said, taught, and proposed as truth in our culture of lies. And so he says, don't conform. God has something better for you. What is that better? Paul says, but be, say it with me, church, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're going to put the teachings of Jesus into practice, you have got to renew your mind. You've got to. It's a non-negotiable. We said earlier that knowledge isn't enough, but I would add on to that, but it is absolutely essential. It's not enough alone. But it is an essential part of the ingredient of following the way of Jesus. Because we live in a culture of lies. (laughs) And some people have called these mental maps. They've called these narratives. Things that we believe. And here's the question. Are those mental maps that you have, those narratives that you believe, are they true or are they lies? Hey, let let me just throw out some of the lies that we often believe. There's the Freudian opine that your unhappiness is simply a result of your unmet desires. So just feed every, uh, fulfill every desire you have, and then you'll be happy. Have you heard this one? It's packaged in all sorts of different ways. It may be something like, just whatever feels good, do it. You deserve to be happy. Maybe something like, "You're, you're just a cosmic accident. So you've got to find your own truth and your own meaning and your own purpose. Or maybe you are an individual. You need no one. You are a rock. You are an island. Right? Just pull up your own bootstraps and get it done yourself. Or maybe, just maybe, the narrative is, gosh, if you want it, buy it. (laughs) Because more and shinier or newer is always, always better. I mean, these are all common narratives in so many ways. They are the air that we breathe, these empty visions of what it means to live the good life, empty promises that even when you grab hold of them, just vanish like a shadow or a mist. A a little while back, my son was invited over to his friend's house to hang out and Their parents texted me their address, and I pulled it up on my phone. It was a text message, so there was a hyperlink to the map, and I hit the hyperlink, or at least I thought I did, but instead of hitting the whole address, I only hit the zip code. And so I had my directions going to 92029 with no address attached to it. 
Now, if you're wondering where 92029 is, let me show you. It's in the middle of Elfin Forest Recreational Area. And if you're wondering, hey, Ryan, is there actually a road that gets there? There is. It's very windy and it's dirt. And when it's dark, it's extremely dark in that area. And I don't recommend going to 92029 without an address. But man, I put it in there and I was following it. And I just want to give you that as a picture for the way that our mental maps work also. When we believe something is true, we drop a proverbial pin and we chase after it with everything that we have and everything that we are. It's the reason, you guys, it's the reason that from the very beginning, the enemy, the enemy of your soul who would love to steal and kill and destroy the devil's main ammunition against you has been lies. Lies. And it's still his favorite tactic. I mean, you could turn to page three of the Bible and you could see this. I mean, look at the way that the devil goes after Eve. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not even eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Come on. He didn't, did he? And what's this tactic from the very beginning? Oh, let's see doubt in the validity of what God said. Move on just a little bit further in Genesis chapter 3, and you'll see the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. What God said is going to happen isn't going to happen. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, So put these two pieces of the conversation together. His first tactic is to erode trust in the word of God. His second tactic is to cast doubt on the goodness of God. And I would argue that what the enemy did in the beginning, he still does today. See, the truth of the matter is, friends, that Jesus came as a rabbi. He came teaching truth. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But he also wanted to teach us how to align our lives with what is real and true. It's the reason he said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, make your home, literally make your home in my word. Don't just hear it. Don't just believe it, but actually live it. If you do that, you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you, what? Free. Free. Here's what Jesus knows. He knows that people can only be truly free if their lives are aligned with truth. People can only be truly free if their lives are aligned with truth. So let me ask you just a few questions. Number one, If Jesus said, don't just be hearers of the word, but doers, it demands that we are hearers also. Do you know what Jesus has said? Do you know what he's taught? Second, do you believe that Jesus was right about the nature of the world that we live in? Do you you think he was correct in what he called his disciples to do his take on reality and on truth. And here's why that's so important because lies are the enemy's greatest strategy and truth is your greatest defense. Do you know what's true? And one of the reasons the church exists, I mean, this is us, we are a classroom and the church exists to speak truth into the cacophony of lies that is our cultural moment. And I know, I know. 
It seems like a a bold and potentially narrow-minded statement even, but I stand by it. I believe that Jesus is truth with a capital T. And I believe that he is giving us truth so that we might align our lives with it and walk in the freedom that he designed us to walk in. So to put that on the ground for us, I believe that it is actually in very real life, it is better to love your enemies than it is to get revenge. I think it's better. It's better to be a person of your word than it is to get ahead by lying. It's better. I believe that it's better to live free from lust than it is to give in to every bodily urge and desire that we have. I believe that it's better. And it's why each week during this series, we're ending with this call to finish the sentence. This week, I will. This week I will, because we believe Jesus wants us to put his teachings into practice. Okay, so how can you do that? What are the tools that God has given you? Um, Two, number one, if you have your Bible, will you just hold it up? This is where we shame everybody that didn't bring their Bible. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. No, The, the greatest tool you have to align your life with truth is the scriptures, the word of God. This is God's gift to you. Useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness that the person of God might be equipped for every good work in Jesus. This is God's gift to you, friends. If you are not spending time daily in the scriptures, you are not engaging in the battle to renew your mind. And my guess is if you're not doing that, you're probably conforming to the pattern of this world. See, it's through the scriptures we see the good and beautiful and true God for who he really is. Through the scriptures, we see that God can be trusted. Through the scriptures, we see that God is for us and nobody can be against us. Through the scriptures, we see that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's that truth that has the ability to change a life. And you may be going, hey, Ryan, well, how, do I, how do I do that? How do I study the scriptures? Gosh, I'm so glad you asked. Because our team has prepared um, a, a little card that, that just says how to read the Bible. Um, and on your way out, you can grab one of these. It's a really simple four-step guide to walk you through how to spend time with God through the scriptures. And our hope is you take one of these, stick it in your Bible, and tomorrow morning, whenever you wake up, you pull it out and you spend a few minutes just engaging the God who's pursuing after you. We renew our mind first through scripture, second through prayer. Through prayer, we develop intimacy with God. We hear his voice and his instruction to us. We receive empowerment through the Spirit. Through prayer, we're guided and grounded in the goodness of God. And I'm grateful for our team. They also prepared a little card for you on prayer, if you were wondering. Okay, Um, You can grab one of these on the way out. A really simple guide on how to utilize the Lord's Prayer as a guide for your everyday prayer. But we long to be a church that's a classroom. And class is in session, not just Sunday at 5 p.m. Can I get an amen? But every single day, Jesus wants to be your rabbi and your teacher. And he wants to teach you how to live the abundant life he designed you for. And my hope is that as you hear the teaching of Jesus, that you'd find it to be the most compelling, most beautiful, most true vision 
for what it means to live life abundant and full and that you would throw yourself on the God who's given himself for you. Secondly, second thing we need to do in order to do. And this, is, this comes out of um, Matthew chapter 26. And Jesus is in the garden with his disciples and they keep falling asleep on him. Do you remember this scene? And he's asked them to stay awake. One of the passages, said, uh, one of the uh, gospel writers says that the disciples are so full of sorrow that they just couldn't stay awake. And Jesus leans over and he says to them, he says, the spirit is indeed willing, but, will you just read this with me, church? But the flesh is weak. Jesus says to his disciples, gosh, I know you want to, but the problem is, you have a body and it's actually working against what you long for in this instance. <laughs> I'm convinced that the body is a highly underappreciated component in our vision of what it means to obey what Jesus has taught. When we think about obedience to Jesus, we typically only think about what we believe, but our bodies play a major role in our spiritual health and maturity. So, so therefore, we, we need to renew our mind. That's absolutely true. We've got to have God's truth as the operating system and the pin that we've dropped in our mental mass. But secondly, we have to also retrain our body. We have to retrain our body. And that's why you can sit here in church on a Sunday night. And my guess is you've done this just like I've done this at points in my life. And you can sit here and have the best intentions in the world. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. I am going to forgive those who wrong me. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to pray for those who persecute me. I, I'm going to show love to my spouse or to my friends in a very real way. I am going to do fill in the blank, right? We have great intentions, but here's what we all know. Our habits eat our intentions for breakfast, don't they? Our habits eat our intentions for breakfast. We have programmed and repeated ways that we respond to stimuli in our life. In fact, some studies would show that over 50% of what you do is a programmed automatic response that you don't even think about. Even responses like fear, or greed, or impatience, or lust. The truth is very little of our doing lies under the direction of our conscious minds. And very little of our actions run from our thoughts and consciously chosen intentions. And before you write this off as like new age neuroscience or whatever category you might want to put it in. Let me just show it to you in the scriptures. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he said, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the, say it with me, church, desire. I really want to do this. I have the desire to do what is right. I have the intentions to do what is right. I went to church on Sunday night and decided that that was right. But not the, ah, say it with me, ability to carry it out. I know it in my head, Paul says. I even believe that it's the right thing to do. I just can't do it. He might echo Jesus' statement in the garden. The 
spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's not an excuse, but it is a reality. And just so we're clear, your body is not evil, but it has been corrupted by sin. And I'm convinced that we have to learn how to recognize our patterns and habits that are preventing us from truly following the way of Jesus and doing what he called us to do. So here's the good news. Here's the good news. Somewhere along the way, you learned your patterns and habits. Somewhere along the way, you developed those. And you can relearn new and better habits. You can form different habits. And you may be wondering, okay, Ryan, how does that happen and what does that look like? Let me give you four things that I'm convinced we have to do if we're going to be people who do what Jesus taught. Number one, I want to call on you to have a vision, a vision for who Jesus is inviting you to become. And, and maybe this is easiest to identify portions of by thinking back on the last time you got in a fight with somebody that you care about. Maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a friend. And afterwards, after you did sort of an autopsy on that argument, you went, gosh, I wish I wouldn't have. Or if I could do it again, I would say this. I do that differently. And I think in so many ways, those help us identify areas of growth if we're willing to be honest with ourselves. Every single one of us has areas that we are still growing in. Can I get an amen? Don't elbow anybody near you, right? So who is Jesus inviting you to become? And I love the fact that the apostle Paul would come right alongside of us in all of his accomplishments and achievements and say, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. He's going, listen, I've got a vision for who God is inviting me to become. I'm not there yet, but I'm moving forward. Do you have that same vision for your life? Second, I just want to encourage you and say, you are never going to get there by willpower alone. This is a spirit-empowered, spirit-driven growth towards maturity to doing the things that Jesus taught. Now, I'm not down on willpower. Actually, I think willpower is fine. If willpower works for what you are trying to address and change in your life, go for it. Willpower just very, very rarely has the kind of power that you need in order to change the things about yourself that you long to change. Right? Willpower is great. But it doesn't stand a chance against a triggered trauma response. Will, willpower is great, but it can't heal a mother or father wound. Willpower is great, but it cannot alone give you the power to conquer addiction. No, you need the power of God in your life to make the change that I believe God would invite us all to make. It's the reason that the Apostle Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And then what will happen? Well, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We long for and need spirit power if we are going to do the things that Jesus called us to do. So the next question might be, okay, Ryan, well, how do we engage with the spirit's power in our life? How do we open ourselves up to allow God to work in us in a powerful way? I would invite you to write down the word practices. Or disciplines, whatever, however you'd like to phrase this. Spiritual practices or disciplines 
are the means by which we open ourselves up to the Spirit of God. Disciplines like reading the scriptures, disciplines like praying, disciplines like, did you know that um, one of the main disciplines that the church practiced for the first uh, number of centuries it existed, and it's a discipline that Jesus assumes you're going to practice as well, is a discipline of fasting. When we talk about our bodies being conformed to the image of God, fasting is one of the main disciplines that the early church would have utilized because fasting reveals what controls us. And I think this is why fasting is out of vogue also, because fasting trains our body to not get what it wants and to still walk in joy. Like, how countercultural is that? Because we live in a moment where in order to have happiness and joy, we need to get what we want when we want it. But fasting says, oh, no, 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 no. There's something bigger going on here. That I don't live just by bread alone, but I live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the ancients would say that the discipline of fasting was one of the pathways to freedom that Jesus' followers would engage in. Your disciplines might look a little bit different than that, though. They might look like, and I hope they do, look like worship or memorizing scripture. And it might look like times of silence and solitude or practicing Sabbath or generosity or secrecy. Some of your disciplines might be like getting enough sleep. Like some of us aren't progressing in our discipleship to Jesus because we don't get enough sleep. It's a very real thing, you guys. And maybe for able exercise as well. I mean, we have bodies and they are a major player. It is a major player in our discipleship to Jesus. And then finally, accountability. Accountability. One of God's greatest gifts to us are the people that are sitting next to us, that are on the journey with us. There's a reason that James wrote to the church and he said, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me encourage you, friends, share your struggles, share your heart, share your life. And through that sharing, Jesus will start to shape you. Vision, spirit, practices, accountability. These are the ways that God changes us and the ways that we retrain our body in those mental maps that we've downloaded and and operated on for so long. So we close our time. I just want to invite you to to draw up a picture in your mind. I I want you to imagine yourself pulling up your phone or or a tablet and, and YouTubing workout video. Okay? You got it in your mind? I don't know what you think might come up when you YouTube workout video, but if nothing else comes up in your mind, would you just get this in your mind? Okay. So this is Richard Simmons, 10 minute sweat. Okay. And I just want you to imagine yourself um, pulling up 10 minute sweat on your phone or on a tablet and then going over to your pantry and getting out a bag of potato chips, like the really good kind, the kettle cooked kind that are really crunchy, that are a gift from God jalapeno of course and so and then you get your kettle cooked jalapeno chips and you go and you sit down on the couch and you open them up and you start to munch and crunch and you hit play on Richard Simmons's 10 minute sweat and Richard's like this right and you're like this oh delicious right 
And at the end of Richard Simmons's 10 minute sweat, you roll up your bag of potato chips, put your chip clip back on it, put them back in the pantry. And you say to somebody else in the house, that was a great workout, wasn't it? Now, my guess is if they love you, they're going to look at you and say, what's wrong with you? You didn't work out, you watched a workout and there's a really big difference. They might even say you're deceiving yourselves. Did you know that the New Testament says the exact same thing about people who hear the teaching of Jesus and do nothing with it? It's like they're sitting on the couch eating potato chips watching a workout video. Or be doers of the word. Not hearers only, because if you're only a hearer, but you're not a doer, you're deceiving yourselves. You're believing a lie about you. At the end of that same teaching, James would go on to say, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Oh, that person, that person will be blessed in his doing. And don't you love that all of the commands of God, everything he calls us to do is for our joy, that we might walk in his way with his heart and taste his goodness. Yeah, there's blessing waiting for those who are obedient. So I want you to always ask, always ask, when am I going to use this in real life? What does this look like lived out Monday morning in my workplace? Friends, this is us. This is us. We are a classroom. And that means we follow Jesus as our savior and as our rabbi. It means that we're convinced that Jesus is truth. And we intend on learning to be obedient to all he taught. Listen, we'll have grace when we fall short, but we will continue to move forward for his glory and our joy. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. So what if, what if we learn to be not just hearers, but doers? What if we realize we are building a life brick by brick and the way that we respond and the patterns that we develop and the habits that we embrace will eventually lead to a character that we live out? And what if we decided we don't just wanna get in the river of conformity, but we wanna fight for something better? to renew our mind, to retrain our body, to become disciples of Jesus. So would you finish this sentence? This week, I will. This week, I will. This week, I will forgive, maybe. This week, I will seek God through scripture. This week, I will pray. This week, I will confront the pin that I've dropped and the mental maps of my mind that tell me I'm a failure, I'm not enough, I'm unloved, and that's driving the way that I live and act, and I'm gonna confront it with the truth of scripture. It says in him, 
I am a dearly and deeply loved child of the most high God. He gave himself for me. Who can stand against me? So Lord, our heart's desire is to build on your truth, to live lives of wisdom, not of foolishness, to be doers of your word, not hearers only. And Lord, we don't just want to walk out of here going, we're going to do it. We're going to make it, we're going to be different. God, we actually want to walk out of here with a posture of humility, asking you to fill us. We need your spirit at work in us. And we know you are faithful, God. You're a faithful God to show up when we open ourselves up to you. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.